Pharmaceutical Technology presents the Drug Solutions Podcast, where the editors will chat with industry experts from across the pharmaceutical and biopharmaceutical supply chain. Join us as experts share insights into your biggest questions, from the technologies to strategies to regulations related to the development and manufacture of drug products. This is the Drug Solutions Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Drug Solutions Podcast. Today, we will discuss processing equipment trends. I'm Olivia Leon, Assistant Editor for Pharmaceutical Technology, Pharmaceutical Technology Europe, and Biofarm International. This episode of the Drug Solutions Podcast is sponsored by Lonza. Lonza is an industry-leading integrated contract development and manufacturing organization from drug substances to finished drug products. In this episode, I will be speaking with Christian Dunn, Director of Global Corporate Business Development at ChargePoint Technology. Christian works with global pharma engineering teams in the pharma, biotech, and fine chemical industries to establish effective ways of handling potent and sterile ingredients. We discuss various trends in processing equipment, such as automation, cost, and sustainability. Now, let's move into the interview. What are some of the current processing equipment trends that you have been observing? There's quite a few uh, different things happening at the moment. Um, it's quite an exciting time, really, for the process equipment. The market's quite buoyant um, and lots of different things happening. There are some things that that started uh, a number of years ago that, that we still see being very prevalent. Um, for example, single-use technology, um, the cost-effectiveness, the product quality that that brings, um, reduced amount of sterilization uh, required for the end user and things like validation is is certainly reduced. So so that's always um, a very popular thing to uh, to have happen. Um, the the size of the the single use equipment, you know, that's that's also uh, very interesting for the end users. Takes up less space. Um, and lightweight, that kind of thing. So from a handling perspective, it's uh, it's been very well received and, and continues to be really. So I don't see much changing on the single use side other than, than it growing and growing really. Um, continuous processing or, or potentially semi-continuous processing, um, it looks to be something that's that's going to be increasing over the next few years. Certainly the, the, the top 10 pharma companies have kind of confirmed recently in strategies that the, any new um, chemical entities uh, will be developed, trying to develop it using continuous or semi-continuous processing. Um, but also some of the legacy products as well. So they're going to be looking back at some of those and potentially generic products um, to, uh, to try and see if there's any certainly cost savings that they can make out of out of those those products that, that currently exist you know we've got equipment manufacturers such as um ema hosikawa and telstar producing uh brand new lyophilizers that are coming onto the market and they're kind of a bulk uh freeze drying system rather than the traditional uh freeze dryers so that's kind of a, a semi-continuous process as opposed to 
placing something inside um, uh, the freeze dryer, closing it up and then waiting an amount of time to have that, um, that discharge. It's, it's gonna be a, something a little bit more continuous. Um, high containment, um, obviously with drug, drugs becoming more potent, we've seen things like ADCs uh, coming onto the market. So the antibody drug uh, conjugates, which is giving the targeted ther cancer therapies. Um, those uh, kind of containment levels have seen a massive jump in the last few years. So we're kind of familiar with occupational uh, hygiene bandings that's up to sort of OEB5. That tended to be the high containment end of things. But, you know, we're now seeing uh, occupational bandings up to seven, you know, and controlling what was down, you know, na uh, micrograms and nanograms, you know, which are super small quantities. Uh, of exposure for operators, you know, to give you an example, sort of one grain of, of salt kind of in an Olympic sized swimming pool, give you a concentration level of 40 nanograms. And what we're talking about now is moving further down that scale into sort of picogram levels uh, for facilities of the future, which is, you know, probably a thousand times less than that level. Um, so, we're seeing sort of different techniques doubling up on containment strategies um, instead of having primary and secondary containment barriers to protect the operators. We're now seeing that moved into sort of triple barrier containment and also kind of a merging of technologies uh, where the, the doubling up on maybe isolator technology, RTP technology and split butterfly technology to provide a, a, a more robust solution. Uh, for the uh, for the operators there's things like smart technology um, capturing uh, data uh, a bit better than we have done in the past seeing that embedded into uh, into some of the process equipment so some of the analytical stuff um, resulting in probably you know more efficient uh, systems less downtime that kind of thing um, just recently I, I suppose it's it's had a little bit of a crossover because the annex one um has just been released for aseptic processing um and so we did see a, a, a number of clients sort of trying to future proof second guess what those that that, that latest uh piece of uh legislation was was going to uh, implement um and things like uh, con contamination control strategies uh that's now become uh, part of the Annex 1 guide, so providing a bit more of a holistic approach to contamination control, implementing risk assessments for the whole process, rather than just looking at small pieces uh, and having a map of the whole uh, process. Um, and, and certainly uh, things like automation is, is becoming, becoming a bit more prevalent. Can you talk a little bit more about how single-use technologies have been sized down? Is it new machines or different designs? Um, it's it's kind of replacement um, of what was uh, previously stainless steel. You know, we looked at uh, large vessels. You've got bioprocessing vessels, that kind of thing. Um, but transfer equipment, um, transfer containers, instead of that being in the traditional stainless steel, which needs washing and sterilizing and all that needs uh, validating. Um, we're now seeing a lot more of that being in disposable bag form. Um, as, as mentioned earlier, it's lighter, uh, easier to manage. We're also seeing 
the attachments onto things like containers. So instead of just having uh, a container uh, with a, a stainless steel connection mounted to the end of it, which allows you to bridge to the next part of the process, you know, that has also recently become part of this disposable framework. So it, it makes it, um, it makes for a, a, a much neater solution actually, um, and saves things like uh, aseptic connections where you're trying to connect stainless steel components to disposable components, which is, is sometimes not, not that straightforward. Um, so now with the new technologies, um, we've got fully disposable transfer uh, containers and connections on them. Uh, so that's making it a bit uh, a bit more advantageous for the end users. What are some of the general best practices to consider for processing equipment? Uh, well, I think at the moment, um, people are talking about modularization and simplifying processes wherever they can and uh, and also automating them. They, can, they tend to be the buzzwords whenever you're looking at, at projects, you know, um, having something in its modular form, you know, makes it, makes it a lot more cost effective. And I think, you know, that, that's one of the, uh, the takeaways from this conversation is I think, you know, cost is a, is a big thing. You know, people are trying to get costs down. So if we can simplify processes, make them modular. But on the flip side of that, we, we do have uh, an increased amount of automation uh, being requested, you know, for, for, for obvious reasons. Uh, but, but I think those are, you know, you know, some of the best practices for people developing uh, process equipment uh, going forward. We have seen it, you know, it's, with a lot of equipment that's been around for many years and, and the pharma industry was really um, trying to get bespoke solutions all the time to solve problems. Um, I think those those pieces of process equipment have been around for long enough that, that the manufacturers have started to modularize some of those, make standard offerings, that kind of thing, uh, which of course has made them more efficient and cost-effective. I think, you know, one of the other important things uh, for best practices for any piece of process equipment, you know, in the design of it is the collaboration with the uh, the end users. You know, having close links uh, with drug development allows, you know, the process equipment um, providers to provide some innovative solutions to solve some of these processing problems. So, you know, wherever possible, engaging with, um, you know, a lot of the, the companies have global engineering groups. Uh, engaging with those and seeing seeing what the next uh, set of challenges are, you know, for the for the process equipment uh, companies to uh, to try and throw solutions at. I think that's I think that's one of the really important things: operator safety uh, and uh, operability of the process. You know, making sure that the that the the process is is something that the operators can work with safely, and um, uh, and and it's ergonomic to uh, to work with as well so i think that's important you've mentioned automation a few times can you talk a little bit more about in what ways automation might impact processing equipment yeah sure um we've, we've seen a lot more um automation certainly on the aseptic processing side uh that's been coming for a, a few years now we've seen uh, robotic arms um integrated into filling lines and uh, within isolators, and that's bringing kind of obvious advantages. It's for for, for processing very potent uh, products. It's keeping the operator away from the, the the products themselves, so it's safer for the operators. 
but it's also safer for the product as well. You know, one of the most contaminating sources um, on any aseptic system is the risk of the, you know, the operator themselves contaminating the process. Uh, so having interventions into filling lines is a big no-no. Um, if you've got a robotic in arm in there doing the job for uh, or instead of the person, you know, that's that's certainly going to bring about less risk to the to the process. Um, so, you know, that's something that we've seen happening for the last few years. I think one of the limitations that the, the, that we're seeing is is in the weight of the, the, the robotic arms and what they what they're capable of carrying. So I think, you know, going forward in the in the future, I think there'll be a little bit more work around, you know, some of the containers that need manipulating inside these enclosures, making them a little bit lighter. And that's helping these robotic arms to be able to be implemented to 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 move them around in the process. So certainly the weight of the containers and the interface from a container to uh, um, uh, to a robotic arm is something that I think will uh, Will change a little bit obviously these containers come in all different shapes and sizes so being able to actually grab them uh, and lift them and manipulate them to different areas does need an amount of work around that space so uh, i think it's the collaboration of the the container and the uh and the robotic arm manufacturers probably will be will be something that we'll see see going forward that said i mean we're seeing it in in, in different areas as well we worked we worked on a number of the, the COVID projects. Um, and as we see those, those drugs being um, manufactured in different areas of the world at different facilities, you know, the, the engineering teams working behind there have seen what was what was developed, you know, in a very short space of time, um, taking a step back from it and looking at how they can streamline that project, that, that process and improve on it. And we we do see, uh, we've had a number of discussions actually with, with companies with regard to bringing about a bit more automation, whether that's the material handling as, as products are moving potentially, say, from the dispensing process into the formulation. How does it get there? Is it on a, a robotic um, handling device? How is it lifted up, docked into, pro, into position? You know. Uh, I think that's something that we'll, uh, we'll we'll start to see on some of these new new applications. Can you talk a bit about some of the other changes that you can see happening in the future for processing equipment? Do you have any predictions as to how those will change or how it will impact the biopharma industry? I would say you know there's a there's a lot of work being done at the moment around cost reduction. You know the the continuous processing side of things, which I touched on earlier. You know that's seen as a, a much more cost effective way of producing a drug. Um, you know that's going to allow these drugs to be distributed to some of the poorer countries in the world. Um, we've seen a lot of uh, a lot of growth in cell and gene therapy. You know the personalized uh, medicines. Um, and whether that's scaling up, scaling out to, to accommodate this this field, um, you know, but the cost of that has tumbled down. You know, I suppose going back to maybe two thousand, early two thousands, two thousand three. I think, um, you know, the first sequencing of the human genome. I think it was around about three billion dollars worth of investment to get that done. Now the same sequencing is is taking place for around five hundred dollars. Um, I do remember being involved in a project many years ago and when it was just in its infancy and, you know, they were saying they kind of opened Pandora's box, um, you know, to what these, you know, potential drugs can do. 
Uh, and I think that's that's going to be quite exciting, really, as, uh, as as things move forward. And it's seeing how, as equipment providers, um, that we uh, that we interface with this either scaling up or scaling out process. You know, whether it's in hybrid systems, part single use, part stainless steel systems, and how we interface or how the, how the, those drugs are, are transferred around a process. Um, I think that'll be that'll be interesting. What are some common issues one may come across regarding processing equipment and how can these issues be addressed? I think with the, the process equipment, the things that we see, we work both on the um, uh, API and high containment um, production side of things, but also on the aseptic space uh, and certainly cleaning, sterilization. You know, that's, um, you know, that's certainly a, a, an issue for everybody, really. Um uh, years gone by, you know, people will be stripping things down, uh, washing them, um, reassembling, sterilizing them, and then reassembling them. Now, that task, on the face of it, sounds fairly straightforward. But when you throw in the the aseptic environment around that, and the fact that you've already sterilized something, to reassemble something aseptically, you know, is is quite a quite a task from a cost point of view in in terms of time. And a risk, you know, from a recontamination, which was mentioned earlier, that, you know, operators are, you know, one of the most contaminating sources there. And you were asking them in, in a lot of cases to reassemble things just very carefully. Um, so we've seen we've seen quite a move across to uh, steam in place systems. Uh, we'll, we were discussing with a, a large uh, European pharma company earlier this year. They'd done various studies. Uh, and and seen you know massive improvements commercially uh, from moving over to steam in place and looking at that cleaning and sterilization step in a bit more detail. Um, so steaming systems in place, it's not it's not straightforward. You know the, the the systems need to be a lot more robust. You know you've got steam sterilization, higher pressures, higher temperatures. You know going through the process equipment and it has to be able to manage that. Uh, but if it can, um, it, uh, it it does throw out a lot of benefits. Material transfer is uh, is something that that isn't always addressed. You know, we have the process equipment doing the process, but how do we get things into that process or out of it? Uh, that's that's something which is overlooked sometimes on the individual process equipment provider. Um, there are the, 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 the large system integrators, you know, such as EMA and GEA, these kind of companies who are providing a full line. And so it, it very much is in their, their scope to consider how product is moved from dispensing uh, into charging uh, from a, a blender, um, you know, down into a, a tablet press, this kind of thing, and done in a, in a safe manner if it's, if it's a high containment application or um, or uh, an aseptic manner if, if we're talking about um, sterile systems. Yeah, so moving things into and out of uh, those environments is, uh, is really important. So when you talk about um, aseptic systems and the aseptic core, to get something in there, it has to be done in a sterile manner. And again, to, uh, to take it out, you can end up creating bridges from an outside environment, which is... Uh, let's say non-sterile uh, to uh, to the inside environment, dragging in contamination if it's not considered uh, very carefully. So I, I think those are 
you know, some of the issues and they tend to be overlooked sometimes. Uh, but but hopefully these days, I think people are becoming a little bit more savvy uh, and uh, and addressing them a bit better. How has the growth of the CMO market affected processing equipment? Well, it's massively expanded over the over the last few years. I think it was around 90 billion. Uh, was it last year? Uh, $90 billion and set to grow uh, probably to about $110, $111 billion in 2026. So, you know, it, it's certainly a market which is um, which is expanding and the process equipment companies uh, need to need to be able to work with them. Um, they, they do require slightly different uh, requirements. Uh, overall, everyone wants a, a, a good piece of process equipment and something that's going to provide high quality and reliability. Um, but they do require a little bit more speed, um, flexibility, uh, and certainly cost-effective cost effective solutions and sometimes smaller scale solutions. You know, the, the, the flexibility side of things, we worked on a project in the U.S., uh, along with uh, Scan, Bausch and Strobel, uh, and Harrow Hofflinger, um, to provide to a, a, C, a, a CMO, CDMO actually, um, which was a, a full filling line where we were we were bringing in uh, the product to the to the filling line. But it had the flexibility not only to be a powder filling line, but it was also a liquid filling line with this modular uh, type approach that one section could be re easily removed and another section could be placed inside the line. And I think that's something from a flexibility pers perspective that, uh, that the CMO market is, um, you know, is demanding really because they need to have that agility. Uh, they're working on lots of different uh, projects and winning different uh, drugs to be, to be uh, produced. The, the packaging side of it is, is interesting as well. These are supplying uh, drug substance, substances in, in, in many cases uh, to the drug product site. Um, and, it, and it's how that, those two are interfaced. These are potentially two sites uh, remote from each other. Um, and sending the drug substance to the drug product site is something that is, is now starting to be considered by that, that market. Um, so we're seeing things like um, having mating connections so when product is discharged from the CMO uh, that that already has a mating connection so it can be docked and charged immediately into the the drug product side maybe in the formulation side of things um, so the the demand for having mating connections and an end-to-end -end solution as, as though it was on the same facility is is something that I think is 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 coming into the market and driven by the the relationship of uh, CMOs and, uh, and 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 end users. And do you have anything else you would like to add or talk about? I suppose uh, uh, just a little bit about sustainability. You know, we've got um, you know rising rising costs. You know, the energy crisis, and I'm just interested to see how the uh, how we all react to that. I think that'll be an interesting thing to see. Um, we've got. Uh, GSK recently announced um, that any of its uh, suppliers will will need to have a, a sustainability commitment, uh, reducing emissions and energy uh, transport and waste. You know, and see how that impacts on on lots of the things that are that are happening in terms of the technology. You know, we've talked about um, single use technology, and then you know we're talking also for sustainability about waste and and see how that um, that relationship sort of uh, moves forward really thank you so much again christian for coming on today we really appreciate your insights yeah no problem at all it was my pleasure 
to our editors and experts for sharing their insights. Stay tuned for future episodes of the Drug Solutions Podcast with the Pharmaceutical Technology Editors. If you want to stay in touch with the Pharmaceutical Technology team, subscribe to this podcast as well as to our e-newsletters. When you sign up for our newsletters, you will be updated about future episodes of Drug Solutions, receive our magazines, learn about upcoming webinars and hear about episodes of Drug Digest. Thanks to everyone for joining us for this episode of the Drug Solutions Podcast.